According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 here this morning. Proverbs 20, verses 6 and 7. Last week we were dealing with verse 5, a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water. And uh, we discussed the problems connected with the deep water, the problems connected with water that's difficult to draw out. And because you can't draw it out, because it doesn't flow, it becomes stagnant. It's it's differentiated in the book of Proverbs with the bubbling brook and uh, the beneficial waters that can can bless and, and serve others. Anyway, the plans in the heart of a man need to be drawn out. And it says a man of understanding draws it out. And of course, that's the Lord, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, the one that knows our, our heart. He knows the, the deepest things. And drawing out the plan is a beneficial thing, the, um, the blessings there. Anyway, that was last week. I encourage you to get the MP3 if you missed it, or even go to YouTube and, uh, and watch the video. We're more of a video culture these days than listening to audio files. For this morning, we're looking at verses 6 and 7. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man, a righteous man who walks in his integrity? How blessed are his sons after him. And a powerful message here in these two verses. So we're going to take today to, uh, to break these things down and take a look at them. Before we do get started, though, remember God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. We'll take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to open our ears, open our eyes, and soften our hearts. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before You this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that we have to assemble here together thanking you for the living and abiding Word of God. It is eternal. It is uh, for our benefit. Uh, Father, we, we uh, pant after it as the deer pants at the water brook. And so here we are, Father. Feed us, bless us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, dealing with grace and truth, a chapter ago, we're going to deal with grace and faithfulness today. Read it already in verse 6, the word that's translated loyalty is uh, our old friend chesed, the uh, Hebrew term, I'll put it on the screen for you in a little bit, the Hebrew term that's tough to translate sometimes or put into a single English translation because it encompasses so many things. It, it encompasses everything that we appreciate from the New Testament perspective of grace, although it adds much more even beyond what the New Testament deals with in terms of charis or in terms of grace. And so sometimes it's translated loving kindness, sometimes kindness, sometimes loyalty. And uh, here it's translated loyalty. Back in chapter 19 it was translated kindness. And that's uh, what we'll be talking about here today. Let me get the slideshow advance to where we are in point six in the outline. Grace and truth were studied in chapter 19, and we dealt with that in 19.22. Here the tandem is loyalty and faithfulness. Loyalty and faithfulness. Proverbs 20, verse 6. And these traits are actually exhibited by the righteous man who walks in his integrity. 
we're, we're connecting together. Verse 6 and verse 7, I believe the poetry, uh, the structure of the poetry here in these verses link them together in this way. And so we see loyalty, trustworthy, righteous, and integrity. Those four descriptions. And then the posterity, the legacy of such a man. The legacy of such a man and the blessings, the happiness blessings that are conveyed to his children, grandchildren, and beyond. It says, how blessed are his sons after him. How blessed are his sons after him. And so breaking these down here today is going to be uh, a blessing. Put the Bible verse up here so we can remind ourselves of these things that we've been looking at. And hopefully uh, we're not getting so lazy that we're just sitting here watching me flip the Bible verses. You you can still find your way around a Bible, I hope, in uh, paper flipping left and right or tapping the glass, which seems to be more more common these days with the various apps that we have. But you might remember Proverbs 19.22, wasn't that long ago when we were in chapter 19. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. That's where the chesed was translated kindness. And we could translate it loving kindness or grace. And it is better to be a poor man than a liar. And taking a look at this poetry and seeing, of course, when you affirm the negative, but uh, the, uh, the negative of the liar is the, the man of truth. And what we have here is the tandem of grace and truth the tandem that describes Jesus Christ and recognizing that the more Christ-like we become, the, the more we're being molded into the pattern of grace and truth as the Word of God does for us in, our, in the transformation of our thinking. And so we dealt with the tandem of grace and truth and went through all the places where chesed and ameth are, can be found uh, throughout the Old Testament, I think highlighting mostly the, the Psalms and the Proverbs where this pair of expressions becomes pretty special in, uh, in different ways. And so that's the, the tandem we looked at in chapter 19. Now the tandem we're looking at today is actually very quite similar because truth and faithfulness are, are pretty close. We, would, we might call them kissing cousins, if you will, in the etymological uh, family tree related to these things. Because faithfulness, the amun that we're looking at here, related to amen, when we say amen to something, let it be, make it so. And uh, the amen faithfulness is grounded in truth. The, the, the uh, trustworthiness of the one who has made the statement of truth. And so uh, we're not far off from this. Proverbs 20 and verse 6 now. A man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? And this is a curious tandem as well, and one that I think we should address in, um, maybe not today, but perhaps in, in a future context where this idea comes back again in, in Proverbs. But the idea of you're proclaiming it, that doesn't mean it's so, okay? You know, uh, he tells you he's faithful. Great, show me, okay? Show me. How is it observed? How is it exhibited? Uh, what is the testimony? In other words, is it found? Is it discovered in that way? And so proclaiming your loyalty. And I would, I would urge both of my daughters in this regard, I would, endure, I would encourage any daughter, any young lady, um, and to be fair, any young man as well, if uh, the, the romantic interest that strikes your fancy, if uh, you know, he tells you that he loves the Lord, um, great, happy to hear that. 
But, uh, you know, I want to see it. Show me. Uh, you know, over the long term, is it demonstrated? Is he exhibiting the traits of faithfulness? He can say he loves the Lord, but is he showing his faithfulness in the Word of God? Showing his faithfulness to the body of Christ? And is that tandem of loyalty and faithfulness, is that tandem then exhibited by a righteous man walking in his integrity? Because you can't fake that, not over the long haul. That, that shows itself for what it is. And when you have the biblical discernment to see it, it, uh, it becomes undeniable. So uh, proclaiming is one thing, but exhibiting it, uh, having it found and uh, observed is something else. This who can find question, by the way, is identical, absolutely identical in vocabulary, grammar, and everything to the who can find statement of Proverbs 31 and verse 20 that we're familiar with. I'm sorry, 31.10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. This is the beginning of the virtuous woman uh, psalm in the... uh, uh, it's an acrostic psalm that's uh, recorded here in Proverbs 31. It takes you through the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to Beth to Gimel, Daleth, all the way through. You can learn your Hebrew alphabet by memorizing uh, these verses. And, uh, and starting off, uh, of course, you've got to memorize it in the Hebrew. But uh, an excellent wife, who can find? And this too, again, so we're going to be equal opportunity here for our young men and our young women. Uh, but if we're going to find a woman of quality that's going to be the helpmate that our son needs for his spiritual work assignment, uh, where are we going to find such a, a woman of quality? And the description is found there. And I know many, many of you have been waiting for Proverbs 31 since we first uh, began this Proverbs series some 274 lessons ago. And uh, we're about two-thirds there now. We finally made it to chapter 20. So uh, we're two-thirds through the book. And uh, maybe another 100 lessons or so, and we'll be getting, 150, we'll be getting into uh, Proverbs 31. Lord willing and rapture pending, I hope we're really not here that long, to be honest with you, <laughs> but that's, that's the Lord's business. So returning back to what we're dealing with this morning then, Proverbs 20 and verse 6. By the way, log off shortcut if you want to know it is alt left arrow, and that backs you up to what you were just looking at before uh, before this passage. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man, a righteous man who walks in his integrity? How blessed are his sons after him. Blessed or happy. And so this is what we're going to be looking at today. We're looking at these four character traits. Really, it's two tandems. It's the grace and faithfulness uh, in the first half, and then it's followed up with the, uh, the righteous and the integrity in, uh, in verse 7. And so all four of them together describe a man of character, a man of integrity, a man that's going to not only lead his family, but he's going to be a spiritual um, forefather. He's going to be a spiritual patriarch that's going to have impact to children, to grandchildren, to generations that follow so that uh, those sons who follow uh, will have the Asherah blessings uh, that are described here. All right, so working our way through the principles, starting with Chesed. You can already tell where this outline's going, can't you? A, B, C, and D are going to be these four terms. (laughs) All right, but we start with Chesed, probably my most favorite Hebrew word of all. I don't know of of one that's better than this. 
Chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. And uh, Strong's number is 2617. And it's curious because very rarely, I think only once, very rarely in uh, the Old Testament will the Septuagint use Chorus for uh, the equivalent of, of Chesed. All right? Usually it'll use Eluam Masune or some of the other terms for mercies or tender mercies or words for uh, kindness, things like that. Uh, almost never does it use chorus. And that's, that's one of the more glaring mysteries, things I want to ask the Lord when I get to heaven. Uh, it's, it's as if God was delaying um, the use of chorus until He could unveil it in the New Testament era. That uh, in the Septuagint era, 300 years before Christ, uh, 400, you know, two to 400 years before Christ, chorus was not yet in the place of preeminence that God would put it when, uh, when He begins to reveal His Son and begins to reveal the New Testament Scriptures. And so um, if, you're, if you're doing those kind of studies and you're, and you're confused as to why you're not seeing more chorus in the, uh, in the Septuagint, uh, I've got some theories for that, but that's a discussion for a different day. Anyway, chesed. It is uh, usually translated loving kindness 245 times throughout the, uh, throughout the Old Testament. So it's a large work st- uh, word study. Uh, we can limit it in some scope here today by recognizing there's really only 10 uses in the book of Proverbs. And those are the verses that you see on the screen. Really only 10 uses in the, in the book of Proverbs. And um, for the most part, they're, they're all behind us. Chapter 3, 11, 14, 16, 19, we've covered those already. We're at the first use in verse in chapter 20. There's a double usage in uh, verse 28. Let's go ahead and look at that while we're already in this chapter, since we're in the neighborhood, because it's translated in different ways. Loyalty and truth preserve the king. And that first word there, that loyalty is, is chesed. And so this is, we, we actually looked at this when we were surveying the, the grace and truth tandems uh, back in chapter 19, because this is our chesed and ameth tandem here that, yep, the, the chesed and ameth tandem that we looked at it back in chapter 19. The hallmarks of Jesus Christ's millennial administration, that when Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of David, his kingdom will be noteworthy for its grace and truth, for its chesed and ameth. And uh, praise God for that. If you're looking for something like that in the November election, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, quit doing that, all right? Uh, look in, in secular terms in, in, in those kind of elections. And then for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, look for Jesus Christ because he's bringing it when he gets here. And that's what we're looking for. We get to the second part of verse 28, though, and it's interesting. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by chesed. And I can't tell you why they changed the translation on this, but the Septuagint also does, by the way. The Septuagint changes the translation here, and it makes me wonder if some of the Hebrew manuscripts uh, have some, uh, have some uh, issues or have some, uh, you know, every time when there's a, there's a discrepancy in a manuscript, it, it gets recorded as, as a variant. And perhaps that's what we have here, although I didn't see a Hebrew variant when I looked at the manuscripts. Anyway, um, in the Hebrew text, in the Masoretic text of this passage, the word for loyalty and the word for righteousness that opens and closes the verse is the same. It's, it's chesed both times. 
And so if I had my druthers, I'd rather render it the same in the, in the English uh, with, uh, with grace or with uh, blessed loving kindness, something that sets the, sets the chesed apart. So uh, chesed and truth preserve the king. He upholds his throne by chesed and, uh, and let it go like that. Um, but the Septuagint does change to dikaiosune there for righteousness and, and uh, maybe uh, they had good reasons for doing that. Anyway, way back to uh, Proverbs 3.3. 3. And in Proverbs 3, we're dealing in the early chapters, the parental wisdom portion of the book where a father and a mother are pouring their heart out to their child so that the child will be growing in the Word of God, shaping their life uh, on the basis of God's wisdom. And uh, we have this here, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let chesed and ameth leave you. This is grace and truth. Chesed and ameth, translated here, kindness and truth. Do not let chesed and, and ameth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And it's really vivid. We know if, if we accept, and I do, I, I mean, I accept this chesed and ameth tandem is, is, a, is, is a reference looking forward prophetically to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the law came by Moses, grace and truth were realized in Jesus Christ. And so when it says, do not let chesed and ameth leave you, uh, we want our children to be saturated by the, the written word of God, but we want them to be dwelling with their eyes fixed on the living word of God. We want them to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, uh, to me, it's a, a very vivid way to communicate this. So bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs eleven seventeen. The chesed, the chesed man, the merciful man, the loving kindness man, the grace man. The chesed man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. And this is the contrast. What kind of man are you going to be? What kind of man are you going to be as the Word of God shapes your thinking? What kind of man do you want your daughter to marry and to be the, the father and the husband of his home that's going to raise your grandchildren? Well, you want the chesed man, the man of grace. Proverbs 16.6 uh, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. By chesed and ameth, iniquity is atoned for. Again, if you're viewing this as a personification of the anticipated coming Messiah, that this is a reference prophetically to the coming of Jesus Christ, then what do you have? By Jesus Christ, iniquity is atoned for. Oh, look at that. A prophetic message anticipating the work of what Jesus Christ will do in His first advent, written by Solomon a thousand years ahead of time. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So we have our justification and we have our sanctification right there in that verse. It's a marvelous testimony to what a glorious thing it is when you're studying chesed in the, uh, in the Old Testament, especially the wisdom literature. All right, that's Proverbs 16.6. Proverbs 19.22, that was the tandem we were talking about last week, or uh, when we were in chapter 19. This is where uh, what is desirable in a man is his chesed, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar, antithesis of truth. 
And so this also becomes a grace and truth passage when we uh, understand how the poetry is describing it in this way. So what are you looking for? You want your, you want your daughter dating a liar? <laughs> no. You want your daughter dating a cruel man? No. You want a young man with chesed and a meth, grace and truth. And uh, the character traits of Jesus Christ as the Word of God shapes him in his Christian walk. Of course today we're in Proverbs 20, we've seen those verses already, verse 6 and verse 28, the two more after, that will come after this chapter, Proverbs 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness and honor. And so the word loyalty there is our word chesed. You have tzedakah, you have chai, tzedakah, and Kavod for honor. All right. So he who pursues righteousness and chesed, righteousness and chesed, finds life, righteousness, and honor. <clears throat> Ask, what are your pursuits? Are you wrapped up in earthly things? Are you, are your attention, is your attention on the things below? Are you all caught up in politics or sports or current events or other things? Or uh, are you pursuing righteousness and, and grace? In the Hebrew would be tzedakah and chesed. The, the Greek would be dikaiosune and charis. The full understanding of grace from the New Testament. And then finally, 31.26, the virtuous woman. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of grace, the teaching of chesed is on her tongue. This is what the woman speaks to her children, to her daughters, to her maidens, to her servants. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. This is um, part of my funeral message for Friday. This is a part of my graveside service uh, for, uh, for Becky Stewart. That uh, her children rise up and bless her. And she'll have both her daughter and her son will be present for the uh, service this coming Friday. Please keep that in prayer. That uh, there's, I have weather concerns and then I have uh, spiritual concerns and I uh, um, can't control the weather but I certainly can control the words I put into the service. <laughs> so anyway, I pray for that. Many daughters have done nobly but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. This is what we're looking for. This is the, the virtuous woman that we want our young men to be dating. We want our young men to be praying over and considering in their marital choices. Not just, of course, she smiles, she's pretty, she smells nice, and uh, the young man gets Twitter-pated like uh, in the old Bambi cartoon. And, and uh, no, you want, uh, you want the, the woman of excellence. All right, so there's our chesed. We also have amun. Amun. Much less common. Only five times in the Old Testament. Uh, it is cognate to amen and it's uh, other, other forms of faithfulness that can be found. But this one is specifically amun and with only five uses, three of which occur in the Proverbs. The two that are outside of Proverbs to me though were the ones that jumped out at me, the ones that I thought were quite striking. But the same radical, the Aleph, the Mame, and the Noon, the, 
the, uh, the, uh, the same radical whereby we get the, the three Hebrew consonants whereby we get our English word of amen. Um, it speaks of, of the, the faithfulness of God and uh, the faithfulness of His Word. And then the faithfulness of believers who are walking with the Lord who are being shaped by His Word. It's, uh, I, I don't know that I can find really where it speaks to any kind of a human faithfulness or any kind of a, a morally nice guy. Uh, it really does speak to the spiritual faithfulness. I guess maybe there's a secular use in, in, in Daniel, but, but that secular use is, is really reflective of his spiritual faithfulness. Daniel's a faithful politician because he's a faithful believer before the Lord. Uh, that's uh, Your spiritual life shapes your temporal life in, uh, in those applications. Anyway, Amun is the Hebrew word here. Strong's number 529, only used five times in the Old Testament. I put them all on the screen uh, because the three that are in Proverbs are uh, 13, 17, 14, 5, and 20, verse 6. The two usages outside of Proverbs include Deuteronomy 32, 20, and Isaiah 26, 2. Beyond that, there's an Aramaic usage. Of course, Aramaic is a different language from Hebrew. It's a related language. It's very much a kin. It's like the closeness between Spanish and, and Portuguese in a lot of ways. It's, it's very much a, a kindred language, a Northwestern Semitic language. And uh, I don't frequently do this. I probably need to do this more often uh, when I'm checking my Hebrew usages is to go and check to see if, if the book of Daniel or uh, Ezra, there's, there's stretches of Aramaic that can be found in, in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel. Um, there's even a, a bizarre verse in Jeremiah that's written in, uh, in uh, Aramaic. And, uh, and I just I need to get, do better about remembering to check those passages well to see if there are some, some uh, Aramaic equivalents that, uh, that can be found there that are worth noting, as, as was the case here uh, in the case of Daniel 6.4 that spoke of Daniel and his faithfulness. Not much room there, but we'll see what we got. Proverbs 13, 17. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. You might recall that when we taught that in Proverbs 13. The idea that if we are expected to convey a message, someone's counting on us to convey that message. There's a king that's dispatched us, or there's somebody that has dispatched us to to convey information somewhere else. And um, we don't want to be wicked in that capacity. We want to be faithful. And uh, anyway, there's the contrast there. That's the usage of the word amun. Amun. 14.5 A trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Remember when I preached this? This was like a duh, right? A no-brainer moment. You mean to tell me that liars lie? Yes, they do. But who tells the truth? And, and what is it that you, that you aspire to be in the plan of God as the Word of God shapes your character and shapes your thinking? You want to be a trustworthy witness shaped by the Word of God and uh, not the false witness. Anyway, we had some applications there. 16, nope, 20, and then our passage today, 20 in verse 6. So there you have it. That's your word study for Amun in the book of Proverbs, just those three short usages as it relates to that. Deuteronomy 32.20 
I thought was interesting because um, we'll just make it a little bit larger here. Remember in Deuteronomy 32, Moses is getting ready to die and he's reviewing the history of Israel in the Exodus generation, that experience, and they're all dead now. And now the wilderness generation is getting ready to enter into the land under, under Joshua. And so Moses is, is reviewing um, their idolatry. He's reviewing their faithlessness and what happens here. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You were grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. Remember our God is a jealous God. He doesn't tolerate this... Uh, spiritual adultery. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. <laughs> you know, you heard that expression, Johnny come lately? Uh, that's, I don't know if it comes from here, probably not, but this is, uh, these are gods come lately. You know, uh, these, these posers, these fallen angels and demons that are uh, seducing human beings into worshiping them when they're just uh, fallen angels and demons is all they are. Fallen angels and their bastard offspring. The, uh, the Nephilim demons as we teach it. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. You know, when God hides his face and says, I wonder how this will turn out, <laughs> that's not good. All right? That's not good when God gives the people over, when God gives us over to our iniquity and our sin. Read Romans 1 sometime and see that three times giving over there. That's divine judgment. For they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no moon, is no faithfulness. Is that, so like I say, it's why it jumps out at me more than those three uses in Proverbs did. I mean, this is severe. When God sees no amun in a, in a generation, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's awful. I mean, that's, and is that where we are? I pray not. I pray that there's a remnant, there's salt and light. I know there is here in this congregation. I'll stand before the Lord and testify to the amun of this congregation. Brothers and sisters that are faithful to the Word of God, faithful to to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. All right, we may not be big, we may not be fancy, but we're faithful. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And then uh, Isaiah 64, or 60, no, 26. 26 2, that's right. And uh, in this, this is a, a stretch of Isaiah, it's very curious, it's called Isaiah's Little Apocalypse. Isaiah 24 through 27, and uh, it's uh, interesting as you read through this section of the book. But in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates. So it's, it's, Israel's, it's Isaiah's little apocalypse. It's a look forward to the tribulation and the millennium and, and really the hell that the Jewish people have to go through and then they can have their kingdom. So he sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. And I love this because it's the same nation that he just called sons in whom there is no faithfulness in Deuteronomy 32. It's the Jewish people. 
And now, whereas in Deuteronomy 32 they weren't faithful, by the end of the tribulation they will be. The faithful nation. The righteous nation. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. We all know that verse, right? This is the context of that verse. The steadfast of mind. We, we try to claim it for ourselves and we want to have our own application, but that's secondary. The promise is eschatological for Israel. When he brings them through the tribulation and they get to enter into the, uh, the city, they are the steadfast of mind. Anyway, there's some neat things there. And those uh, jump out at me. And then the Aramaic equivalent that's found in Daniel chapter 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. So this is after the fall of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's long gone. Belshazzar's gone. The, the kingdom of Babylon has fallen. The head of gold is being replaced now by the chest and arms of silver. The Persians are in charge. So it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom and they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners. I think the King James called them presidents. But uh, three commissioners over the 120 of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. They get to audit the the satraps so that uh, any of the um, graft and any of the um, corruption could be rooted out or at least be minimized. And um, the other two were happy to, uh, you know, take their cut, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but Daniel, Daniel was making the other two look bad because he wasn't taking a cut and he was keeping his 40 satraps uh, honest. And so you end up with a kingdom here where 80 of these satraps are as uh, deceitful and 40 are, are held honest by, uh, by Daniel. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. This is the deep state at work and they're trying to find a way to get Daniel out of office. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And that's not the Hebrew word Amun, but it is the Aramaic equivalent of Amun. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And so they say, well, we'll have to use his religion against him. <laughs> and uh, this is, the, this is the, the lion's den. I mean, we know this episode and, and what happens after this. All right. So these are the kind of young men we want. These are the men of character. By the way, this is the man you want for a husband, the man you want for a father, the father of your children, the man you want for the grandfather of your grandchildren, the kind of man you want for the, the, the pastor of your church, the kind of man you want for your deacons, the kind of women you want for your deaconesses. It comes down to grace and truth and faithfulness. And two more items here that we have in uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 7. Tzadik, righteousness, the righteous man. Sadiq, T-S-A-D-D-I-Y-Q. 
So if you can only learn two Hebrew words, you start with chesed and then you go to tzaddik. <laughs> okay? The word for righteousness. Tzaddik, or the feminine tzedakah. And uh, 6662 is the Strong's number. And uh, used over 200 times in the Old Testament, 206 times, including 66, a marvelous chunk of the whole Old Testament usage, a significant chunk of the Old Testament usage is, uh, is right here in the book of Proverbs. 66 times in the book of Proverbs we have this adjective for righteous. 34 times in uh, Proverbs 10 through 13. A real concentration there in that, in that segment. Remember I mentioned that when you get through Proverbs 1 through 9, that's the, the childhood section of the book. That's the parental wisdom where parents are pouring out their heart to their child to listen to doctrine and pay attention. All right? And then you get to chapters 10 and beyond, really 10 through 24, you've got the, the public, personal and public uh, wisdom section. This is where you now have to stand in your own generation before the Lord and walk in, in wisdom and walk in righteousness. And so it's, it's not really shocking to me that in, in these early chapters there, 10 through 13, we have this concentrated um, uh, uh, section of the, of the book of Proverbs where all of these righteous verses uh, get, uh, take center stage. I think the, uh, the final composition of Proverbs when, uh, whether that was uh, you know, Ezra or, or one of the other scribes, possibly even in the time of, it may have even found its final form in the, in the days of Hezekiah. We'll, we'll discuss that when we get to chapter 25. Because the canon was added to in the days of Hezekiah. When Solomon died, Proverbs was simply chapters 1 through 24. That was the book of Proverbs. And then uh, the additional chapters were added later. Anyway, this is what we're looking at here. Let me show you some of these things. We have some time this morning. The, um, let me pull up Proverbs. I'll go full screen for this. And um, so yeah, you can see the righteous man. You can see your Sadiq right there. And uh, Dikayasune right there in the Septuagint. And if you're just going to pull up righteous, let's look at Sadiq right there. Here we go. See, this is the kind of stuff I couldn't do. Oh. This is the kind of stuff I couldn't do last week when I was having all those laptop problems. <laughs> so now I'm thrilled to be able to uh, give this to you here today. All right, so here's our Sadiq. 206 uses. And uh, for the most part, righteous, righteously is the way that it's rendered. There's a few other minimal uh, usages where it's translated just or right or blameless, innocent. Even a bizarre one where it's rendered tyrant. That's another manuscript puzzle. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that got copied from a neighboring verse and got inserted into this verse and doesn't really belong there. The Septuagint got it right. And uh, anyway, that's a, a different puzzle there. But when you're looking um, at the, the various uses that are found throughout the Old Testament, to find them in Proverbs, let's see if I can bring this up. It may not be worth it, but here we go. 
So here's Tzaddik in the different uh, books of the Bible. And uh, you can narrow it down. <laughs> you see where it's off the charts? You know, and I'm a visual guy. I mean, I like to look at pictures. I like to see, and that gets my attention. I go, aha, there's an emphasis here. Okay, an emphasis. And I don't want to have a, a wrong emphasis when it comes to these things. And then I can break it down uh, to the actual book itself and uh, just simply do the search there. So um, if we're going to do a search and we're going to limit it to a particular part of the Bible. Let's say we're only going to limit it to Proverbs. So there's my Proverbs result. Like I say, there's 66 of them. And again, two, I'll say, show me a picture. Put this on a graph and break it down by chapter. All right, now I can start to see. And uh, pretty minimal in those early chapters, chapter two, three, four, nine. But boy, when we get to chapter 10, look what happened. We just stepped away from the parental wisdom portion of the book and we crossed into the personal and public portion of the book for personal and public wisdom. And then Sadiq takes center stage. Sadiq uh, then becomes the, the main focus of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so you can see in these chapters, there we go, chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, we can see there's a, there's a concentrated section there. Then it drops off. It doesn't really disappear. You can see where chapter 20 is. Kind of amusing that chapter 20 has just this one lonely usage in verse 7, and this is the occasion when I'm, I'm making the big emphasis that I am related to this. Anyway, we're talking about four character traits. We're talking about chesed and faithfulness and righteousness and integrity. And those four get placed right here in, in Proverbs 20. The only place in the Bible that, that conveys all four is right here. So those things get my attention as well. All right, we'll get back to our slideshow. Hopefully that was worthwhile for you. So 34 in Proverbs, uh, we're not going to read through them. We'd run out of time if we did. I want to get to this next section. Tom, not Tom, Tom, okay? If you, know somebody, if you know somebody named Tom, this isn't him, okay? It's a long O, Tom, but it's spelled T-O-M. Strong's number 8537, this is our term for integrity. Used 23 times in the Old Testament, including seven times in Proverbs. And I do want to look at these verses, because integrity, integrity, some, I think the colonel said that integrity was the sum result of these other elements. Um, I, I don't know, I think you've got chesed and amun up front, and then those, that tandem expresses itself in righteousness and integrity. I think loving kindness and faithfulness form a tandem to themselves that then get expressed, that tandem gets expressed in a second tandem of righteousness and integrity. So Proverbs 2.7, we'll start with that.
Proverbs 2, 7. Benefit to why we want to be walking in the Word of God. Again, the exhortation to a child, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. We've got to get our, our kids to the point that they're coming to church not because their parents are making them come to church. They're coming to church because they're eager, they're hungry, they want to learn, they want to grow. They're coming from their own frame of reference, their own priesthood. One of the greatest events in my lifetime was in between 8th grade and ninth grade is the benefit that happened when my parents moved. We, we moved a lot in my childhood. But in between 8th grade and ninth grade that summer, we moved to Shoreline, Washington, and we moved to a house that was right across the street from Evergreen Baptist Church, right across the street from the church where I was saved and, and grew up. And so at that point, we lived across the street. And guess what? It didn't matter. If dad was working late or mom wasn't feeling well or whatever, we didn't need transportation, uh, we could walk across the street and go to church. And so from the age of about 13 on up, 12 maybe, I think I was 13 when I started high school, 13, 14, 15, 16, yeah. And so from the age of 13 onward, I didn't need mom and dad to drive me to church. It's right there across the street. And then that's a marvelous benefit. So making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Going because you're eager, because you want to. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver. Search for her as for hidden treasures. That takes a lot of effort. But when you're hungry, you want it. And you chase after it. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in tome. For those who walk in integrity. See, integrity, this is far more than just an ethical consideration. Far more, I mean, what what this world teaches in business and ethics classes related to integrity is sad. It's a spiritual principle that's an expression of chesed and amun, of grace and faithfulness. That's your righteousness and your integrity. And uh, when you're walking in your integrity, God is right there as your shield. That's a marvelous benefit. David will testify to that again and again throughout the Psalms. All right, Proverbs (laughs) 10.9. 10.9. All right. Proverbs 10.9, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. So you need to walk with tome. That's a secure walk. Anything other than tome is perversion. Same chapter down to verse 29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright but ruin to the workers of iniquity. It's translated upright there, but that's also the tome for integrity. Proverbs um, 13 and verse 6. Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. Blameless, that's your tome right there. 
Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. That's the same tandem we have this morning in, in chapter 20 and verse 7, where you have righteousness, tzaddik, and you have uh, tome for integrity. That's why I keep saying I think that first tandem produces the second tandem, that it's an expression of that. Uh, if you have loving kindness and faithfulness, it's going to be expressed in righteousness and, and integrity. We, have, we end up with all four because the two produce the other two. Uh, 19.1 Better is a poor man who walks in his tome than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. You know, not fun to be poor, not fun to struggle financially, but it's better than uh, abandoning tome, abandoning your integrity, abandoning your walk of faithfulness and righteousness before the Lord. That's a price you don't want to pay, no matter the uh, financial consequences. Of course, Proverbs 20 and verse 7 is our verse this morning. Proverbs 28 and verse 6. Almost word for word. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. So, yeah, Proverbs are pretty hostile to the perverts. (laughs) Words like perverse and crooked and and abomination, and all these uh, words that we're not supposed to use today because, you know, we're modern 21st century sensitive. Um, the Bible uses them, I'm going to use them. Perversions are perversions, and um, we can't abandon truth. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking to me to see an entire culture abandon truth. And uh, that's not love. They'll tell you, oh, it's love. It's not love. Love takes no pleasure in wickedness but rejoices in the truth. So don't you dare redefine love in your abomination. Use the Bible's definition of love and you and I can have a conversation. So we have these four. What are these four? What's the end result of these four? We end up with happy blessedness. The asherah statement of blessed are. Like the beatitudes that Jesus would say, blessed are, blessed are, happy is. This is the happy blessedness. It is the heritage of this father's children. Happy blessedness is the heritage of this father's children. And we discussed it. This man of integrity, this man of of, uh, chesed and amun and sadiq and tom, this man is, uh, I must still have a search that's open. Let me close these windows. There we go. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. The man of loyalty. That's from verse 6. The chesed. The trustworthy man that you have found. The amun. The righteous man. The tzaddik. And remember, how do you become righteous? There's only one way to become righteous. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ is the only way. Apart from grace through faith in Jesus Christ, there is none righteous, no, not one. So, quit looking. But in Christ, when our iniquity is laid on Him, when His righteousness is imputed to our account, there's the righteous man. Walking in integrity. How blessed. Asherah is the Hebrew. Asherah are His sons after Him. How blessed. How happy. So 
In Hebrew, you've got baraka for uh, barak, the, the verb for blessing, uh, to bless, and baraka, the noun for blessing. But then you have asherah. And asherah often gets translated blessed, but it's a happy blessedness. And it's the, the personal happiness, it's the emotional, spiritual well-being because you're identifying with God's baraka. Okay? You're not going to find asherah blessings apart from God's baraka. Apart from God blessing you, you're not going to have the asherah happiness. Isn't this something? The secret to happiness is laid out, and you guys didn't even get charged admission. The world's paying big bucks trying to buy happiness everywhere they can trying to buy it in a bottle or trying to drink their way to happiness or trying to, you know, entertainment for happiness or whatever else they're trying to find. Happiness in the arms of a woman or whatever else they're doing. And the Bible lays out all the definitions of asherah. Psalm 1, Psalm 119, all the happy, all the, the blessed are, and then Jesus lays them out in the Beatitudes with all of His blessed are statements. Here's a blessed are statement the Asherah statement right here. Asherah. Color it green. I should color all my Asherahs green everywhere we find them in the, in the Hebrew. Anyway, happiness to his sons after him. Keep in mind, sons, the B'nai, the sons could be literal sons. They could be first generation, immediate offspring. That is the, the but it's, it could also be grandsons. It could be great grandsons. It could be, uh, you know, a thousand generations later, still called sons of David, sons of Abraham, sons. You, they're all called sons. They're just descendants. And so when we talk about a righteous man who walks in his integrity, the man of grace, the man of faithfulness, how blessed are his sons after him. We have general applications we make here that apply to any you know, hero of the faith, a strong believer. You can think about the benefits that David's sons had because David was their example. And every king that followed David was compared to David, whether he was a good king or not. And if he, if he followed after the Lord his God with all his heart like David before him, he was considered a good king. If he did not follow after the Lord with all his heart, like his father David before him, he was con- considered a bad king. That was the criteria when you're reading through First and Second Kings as it relates to the kings of Judah that followed. But a righteous man who walks in his integrity doesn't mean he was sinless, doesn't mean he didn't make mistakes. David was, you know, the chief of all sinners until Paul came along. But he was, the, he was called a man after God's own heart. Because when he was exposed for his sin, he, he threw himself on God's mercy and repented. And, and that's, that's our example to follow. So we have these applications. And, and the applications we can emulate, the applications we can celebrate. I think we can also have an eschatological application here. Taking this as a description of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, of course, is the pinnacle. He's the ultimate man of Chesed, the ultimate man of Amun. In fact, when he comes riding to conquer and what's written on his, on, his, on his thigh, faithful and true, yeah. He has a name written upon his thigh. He is the faithful and true. So there's no better Chesed, there's no better Amun, there's no better Tzaddik, righteous, 
His, the throne of his kingdom is going to be called the throne of righteousness. There's no greater tome of integrity than Jesus Christ. And so we can view this description as a description of Jesus Christ and say how blessed are his sons after him. And we have a description of the fullness of time. We have a description of the thousand generations of, of those who love Jesus Christ where he says they will be my children, I will be their God the fatherhood of Jesus Christ in the, in the thousand generations of the fullness of time. It's going to be a happy day. It's going to be a happy uh, thousand generations. How Asherah are his sons after him. Alright, so next week we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll do the rest of this because I want to talk about these other principles of, of uh, child raising, principles of having a godly heritage and um, I don't want to just rush through it in in three minutes. So um, we'll come back to this next week and finish this slide. And then, yeah, that's the last slide for this verse. And then we'll be ready for verse 8 where we get into politics. A king who sits on his throne of justice, dispersing all evil with his eyes. That'd be kind of fun. (laughs) If you have a president who could just glare at somebody, if looks could kill, and you could just dispense with evil with a look. Well, we'll get that in the millennium, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and not before. No, I don't think we'll have an earthly president with uh, the, the powers of dispersing evil with his eyes. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. This is a momentous day, Father, and uh, we have been in such prayer for this day. We continue to pray for all things and uh, just asking for your blessing and thankful for your faithfulness moment by moment. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.